We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run, always chasing, never stopping. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence. How are you, Ben? Doing so good, Patrick. Thanks. It's good to see you. As we said, a few, who knows when, how many number of episodes ago now, but we are actually doing this in person again. So that's lovely. So good. So it's good to see you. We have this week a two minute drill. Two minute drill is when I go through my Instagram DMs and source incredibly good questions from listeners, questions that uh, they're very good, surprisingly good. They're like, there, I see the questions and I'm like, I should have thought of that question, but I rarely do. And so um, thank you to everybody out there for sending us um, your questions. It's almost as if the people listening to the podcast are chasing yes. excellence. Yes. It that. is. It's amazing. We're a great, a great tribe. Um, so if you want to add your list to the queue of questions, just find me on Instagram, PS Cummings, send me a DM. I will, uh, I promise you, I will read them. I will add them to our list and we will get them into an episode as soon as we can. So two minute drill is when, uh, we try to answer questions within two minutes. Sometimes we succeed. Sometimes you talk to real fast. Um, but that's what we're going to do today. First question we've got is, how do I get my spouse more involved in CrossFit? I've tried to be overly inviting, somewhat pushy, and now have backed off completely for about, uh, for about the last year. It's a big part of my life and has been for years now, and I'd love to experience the joys of it together. Also, I know it would be best for their health as well. How do I get my spouse more involved in CrossFit? It's a great question. I love the approach. And I love that it would be such so much fun to enjoy this passion together. And that's that's phenomenal. And that you care and it's you know it'd be the such a, a right thing for them in their lives. The honest answer is you don't. <laughs> you don't. Yeah. Yeah. Like you you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink, right? And if you've tried the pushy route, you've tried the passive route, you've tried the roundabout way to do it. You've tried the soft, like you're doing it. Mm -hmm. um, that would be my first one is just do you know that it would be so cool to do this. And at the right time, the right place, it may happen and it may not. But let's not try to force things that can't be forced. Round pegs do not go in square holes. The second part of that would be um, read Chris Voss's book <laughs> oh the tactical okay yes the tactical approach to this um which is i'm blanking on the name of it right now never split the never difference. split the difference thank you um it is phenomenal in terms of understanding how to persuade people mm, interesting so that would be my suggestion and before you start working on it in this aspect just try to practice his um, tips, tricks, and tools in other ways. And then when you feel comfortable and confident, then start working on your spouse in this way. Yeah. I would add, because I'm actually in that, or at least I'm, I'm beyond that position because I'm, I'm to the point now where I don't try, but I spent lots of, lots of years trying, um, to, to no avail. I, I came very close once. It didn't, it wasn't successful. And so the only thing I would add to it that's kind of embedded in the question. And I think it's something that you, you've talked about before. We've certainly talked about, which is, I think that one of the most important parts is also to remove judgment that this person doesn't know what they're doing. And if they only listen to me, mm -hmm. I, it would solve all of their problems because it, right. it might not. 
the truth is like, especially CrossFit, but the truth is like anything like CrossFit, it's not right for everybody. Right. It's just not. And, and continuing to push and push and push. What would like the dream scenarios? She's like, she, or he fine. I'll, I'll do it. And then she does it or he does it and he hates it and he's miserable. And then you've got then nothing. Then it's just, you've just started another fight. It's a, it's a paradigm shift of recognizing that something that you feel so passionate about that yeah. you've fallen in love with might not be the right thing for other people. Yeah. It's the equivalent of ask something. The best way to conceptualize this is think of something that you're not into. Yeah. That if somebody came to you and said, Patrick, I really think you should come to church with me on Sunday. I really, it's just, I don't think you understand how impactful this is and how good it would be for you. And you know, like just come this set, like, and it's, yep. it, no, and you, you me, right? already know what feels, what it feels it's like not, to receive that. Not for me, right? Funny, you, you said church in my head, I was thinking skateboarding. <laughs> cool. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like whatever it is that some people love and other people don't come understand. to pottery class with right. me. Pottery is so you're like, yeah. I want you to meditate with me every morning. Like let's do a meditation. We'll get up 30 minutes earlier than normal. It's so cool to see the sunrise. You're like, mm-hmm. Not for me, bro. Like, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. I'll take the rain check. And what, what happens when you do that is like you can actually, you're, you have the space to like celebrate the fact that they love yoga or they love yeah. Pilates or they just love going on for a three mile walk every morning, whatever it is. Like yeah. we got to, we got to zoom back in on like, what is the point here? Point is we're just trying to be healthier and happier. And like, if that's how you do it, man, or man or woman, all power. And even if that person isn't living a healthy lifestyle otherwise. That's the part you have to kind of like, that's the hard part, right? What you know, you know, the person isn't living a healthy lifestyle and they are hurting their bodies and you do have a tool for them that if they put in the toolbox would massively improve their lives, you still have to approach it with some tact and patience. Next question. We killed the yeah, two minute on that. Anytime I chime in, it's, yes, it's uh, gone. two minute drills. Okay. Next question. I'm a 23 year old. Uh, I'm a 23 year old who got into CrossFit almost eight year, uh, eight months ago. Sorry. I fell in love with the sport right away and I've done very little other than school and training since I picked mm-hmm. up most of the high level gymnastics skills fairly quickly. And I've been making steady progress on all my Olympic lifts. I have competitive aspirations given my age and experience level. Do you think, uh, do you think becoming an elite competitor is out of reach? If not, how would you suggest I move forward? And just as a reminder, 23, 23 year old, eight months into CrossFit. Okay. So first question is, do I think they're too old to become elite? No, I do not. Now I also need to know, I I don't know a whole lot. They pick up their gymnastic skills quickly. Cool. That does that mean that you can walk on your hands, 50 feet unbroken, or does it mean that you can do 21 unbroken kipping pull-ups to full deficit parallettes? Like that's a big difference. Totally. So it's okay. I can do two or three muscle-ups or no, I can do 19 to 20 ring muscle-ups. So big differences there, but it's not too late. If, um, if you dedicate and this happens in our sport, we have, you know, we have an athlete that's we're, we're working with right now, Cindy, uh, um, Sydney Michalishan, um, who's a young athlete has only been in this for a couple of years and she went to the games last year. Mm. So yeah, you can totally get to the games in a couple years with massive dedication. It sounds like this person has, which they basically have thrown away everything else. Yeah. <laughs> this is all I yep. seem to be doing. Yep. Okay. The second part of that is what should I be doing? Twofold. First off, um, do an assessment. You got to figure out what it is that the elites can do. Mm. How close are you to them? And then do that across the board in all the ma- major modalities. So what's your mile time? 
how close to a five minute mile are you? That's what you need to be able to do. Not exactly, but if you can do a 520, you're in the fighting space. You need to figure out how many ring muscle ups you can do. You got to be able to do close, you got the numbers got to be somewhere around 20 to be elite. You got to figure out how many strict handstand push ups you got to do. That's got to be somewhere in that 40 range, unbroken for guys. Um, figure out what your uh, Amanda time is. That's got to be somewhere around the three and a half minute mark. You got to figure out, and you, you get the picture, right? So, um, from there, then you start working on the areas that you need the most improvements on, and you just kind of bring the whole thing up from the lowest, uh, the lowest one. So if you're only ten seconds off in your mile time, but you're ten muscle ups away from that, you got to work on the muscle ups. Mm. If you are um, only two or three muscle ups away, but you're fifty pounds off on your snatch, you got to work on the snatch. And then the next thing I would do, which is actually the easiest way to do this is sign up for a legit competition mm. that i mean once you do that if you can get through a qualifier to something like dubai or Wadapalooza or one of those games one of those events right away you kind of know where you measure up against some of the heavy hitters in the space love that two very rapid fire questions so we don't belabor this too much uh, everything you just said especially that original question of is it too late basically uh, is there a giant difference between male or female and the, the current state of the sport? Like closer to males? Yes. Closer to girls? No. Okay. So with the, with the influx of the, the teens in our space kind of making headwaves, everyone thinks that the, that the sport is kind of peaking at 22, 23. And that's not the yeah. case. People, we've gotten way too, we've swung it. You can be successful at 19, 20, 21, but people are still hitting their peak at 27 and 28. That's where the peak of this thing. So this person has four years before they're even at their mm, peak. That's great. And then you can run with another three to four years on the tail end, even some athletes till they're 32 or 33. And then it's like a cliff. Yeah. It's not a bell-shaped curve. It's a <laughs> trick, 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 trick up to about uh, 27 to 30. It flatlines. And then at 32, it's a cliff. Got it. Uh, and then second follow-up, is there anywhere, maybe CompTrain has it, maybe maybe somebody else does. Is there anywhere, you know, you said like, do that assessment, like figure out where everybody is, five minute mile, three minute. Is there anywhere like that somebody could go find that so that they can actually see like, okay, well, what does elite actually look like today? Not five years ago when somebody put it together or not? Whatever. Yeah. Is it, does that exist anywhere easily or is it? Uh, not that I'm aware of. <laughs> okay. So don't call Ben. Or don't send me an. I'll try and put something together, honestly, because we ha I, I, we have it, yeah. and I'll try and put something that's um, Instagrammable worthy. That's great, perfect. All right, good. You heard it here for here, folks. Okay, next question. Um, I'm soon to be an attending physician, taking my first job, my um, with nine years post grad training. My that is bonkers, yeah, isn't it? Seriously, good on you, man. Yeah. Uh, my core values are passion, excellence, and family. I interviewed for two jobs. One is a place I can envision growth and further my passion for medicine. The other is a very safe job near family, but less room for growth. My wife decided she couldn't be happy at the job I wanted. Uh, being that family is my first priority. I took the latter job. I'm currently struggling to find excitement with the new job when I feel like I'm giving up on my core values of passion and excellence, as well as the nine years of hard work to quote unquote settle. How do you recommend I mentally frame this transition as I, uh, as I do want this job to work out given location, et cetera, et cetera. This is what we're talking about. This is such good questions, yeah, right? Okay. My man, like this guy's got it, like totally got it. And it's the right big questions we should be asking ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like, am I putting my priorities in the right place? And the fact that he's already got his um, 
it's it's excellence family passion and passion family. oh yeah so cool but what i love is he answered the question in his own mm. thing there which was he said my first priority is family first and that's why i do believe that if you have three or four values or five values, you still have to have that, one, call yeah, it what you Stack want. order them. Yeah, yeah. No, not even, just one. You have mm. to know what comes first. Interesting. You just have to, because if push comes to shove, you have to know it's that one. I don't think okay. you have to go like one through five. You have to go one A, and then here's my one Bs. Mm. And I'm the same way, which mm-hmm. is family first. Mm-hmm. It's the principle. It's a principle that we have with our family, which means, yes, I have excellence and I have, um, I want growth and I want learning and I have commitment and I have a, my business and all that things. But the saying I have is family needs me. I'm coming running. Mm-hmm. Like I, I will drop everything right now in the middle of this to come running yep. full speed and figure out all the rest of the things <laughs> while yep. I'm on the road yep. driving to Connecticut to take care of my in-laws, mm-hmm. like whatever it is. And this person's done that as well, which I love that you've answered it. Now, the second question, I know clock's ticking. It's okay. Minutes, yep. But the second question is, how do I find peace? Yeah, what he said is, how do, I, how do I mentally reframe or frame this transition? Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And here's how it is this isn't forever. Mm-hmm. You're not, this is an opportunity, which is all it is. Life is going to give you exactly what you need for the evolution of your consciousness. This right now is happening to you so you can work on finding happiness and passion and excellence in something that isn't as Mm -hmm. fulfilling to you in that category. So I don't know the answer. Mm -hmm. If I did, I would, you know, that's what only whatever you believe in has the answer, right? Universe, fate, God, whatever that is. Um, Destiny. So... It is a matter of using this perspective to find peace, harmony, happiness in this other role. And here's the deal is you're not going to be there forever. So just lean into it for now. This is an opportunity for you to potentially put in massive dividends into the family thing, into, it sounds like you have more time because you're closer and that's why your wife liked this, into another passion pursuit of yours? Do you love painting or go buy a jet ski or yep. whatever it is, right? I don't know, but yeah, you be. can you can lean into something else here because you have more bandwidth that you don't get to expend in the excellence of your career. Yeah. Or I got, well, I think we could talk about this for a while, or you could use that extra space, right? If however you want to call that and double down on the skills. And suddenly when you double down on the skills over the course of two years, you suddenly have opportunities to totally. chase your passion and pursue your excellence in ways that you can't even imagine. Yeah, I, I, that always is the case, right? Excellence is hard to keep quiet. Yep. Like always just go and kill it. And what you might be able to do is completely change from the inside out the organization that you are a part of. Yeah. And you have the power potentially to change that environment into the growth opportunity that you actually want it to be. Because yeah. if you go there and kill it, I know that it's more of a status quo type place. It's more a built, yep. place built on complacency. Yep. It's not this Safe. rocket yep. ship. But if you can go there and crush it, maybe you change the ecosystem, yeah. you change the environment, you change it. And now they see you and they see how much drive and passion and excellence you have. And all of a sudden it does change. Yeah. Yeah. This embedded in this question is this, this, uh, this implication that it, I have to change myself to be, to do this thing. 
But I love your point. Maybe you change everybody else yeah. to be more like you. So then, and then you're less like that. The only thing I would add to that is don't do that intentionally. You're not going there to no, yeah, change don't. them. And, yeah. You are yes. just going there being you. And as the leader, uh, people like a magnet will gravitate towards excellence. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, a lot to talk about. Yeah. A lot to talk about there. Um, next question. I was wondering if you could discuss uh, spirituality with a religious link as well, if that's comfortable for both of you, uh, and how that plays a role into your lives, and maybe uh, into the think pillar, which is a reference to the five factors. How do you, uh, how do those practices, beliefs, if any, influence and affect your perspective on life, growth, thoughts, etc.? This is an entire episode. Holy smokes. Hit me. Okay. Oh, uh, wow. Um, okay. Spirituality versus religion. Mm-hmm. Um, I see... The major difference there being the rituals, structure, and formalities. Formalities. Yeah. Um, we believe in Jesus Christ, Son of God. We believe in Buddha. We believe in Allah. We and it's more of like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas spirituality is, um, I believe in. Honestly, what spirituality boils down to is a level of conscious intention in trying to be a better person. Mm. It really boils down to, can I be at peace with who I am? It looks internally at yourself and recognizing that we might not be the star of the movie that we thought we were, Mm. that we're connected to something a lot bigger. It recognizes that, when we look up at the stars and the universe, we are not looking out at the stars. We are inside of that thing. Mm. And inside of us, okay, this gets into like, I'm going to try to keep this relatively short, but here's the like a really quick heavy hitter. Um, Newtonian physics was basically like, um, we are made up of matter, um, protons, neutrons, and all that stuff. That was all cool and we were all good with that. And that's what, and then all of a sudden came along quantum mechanics and Einstein and all that. And basically it goes, no, we're made up of space. Mm. When you boil down into you, when you get past the cells and past the DNA and you get all the way down to the, the elements of the atoms, what you find is nothing. Mm. You find space, you find vibrations. Now, this is getting cuckoo, it's getting weird, but the idea behind that is a spiritual journey is becoming at peace with yourself so you can have those good vibrations. That's really what it gets down to. And if you want to believe um, in the way that an awesome human being that walked the earth called Jesus Christ did it, or you want to believe in... Um, Buddha, or you want to listen to Deepak Chopra or Jay Shetty or any of these other people that seem to have a good way of doing things, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But it really is about this perspective that this is, because whether you believe in heaven and hell or afterlife or not, it doesn't really matter. What matters is you got this. Mm -hmm. This is what we got. Whether you believe that we're living inside the matrix hmm. or you believe that this is a test for another life or you believe it's going to be judgment of heaven and hell at the end. The only thing that really is this right here and it's how do I become the best 
version of me. And that always starts with this internal journey Mm -hmm. and going way into us, way past what most people think who we are, which is our thoughts. Mm -hmm. You are not the thoughts. The thoughts is the narrator of your life. And the narrator does a great job when it's tasked to do certain things. It doesn't do such a great job when it's not tasked to do certain things because it turns into eternal chatter. And chatter spins, chatter looks for problems, the chatter just chatters, chatter, chatters. So what we need to do is get past the chatter and go into us. And this is why people like meditation, but it doesn't need to be meditation. Spiritual journey could take the place of anything. It could be journaling. It could be writing for you. It could be walking in nature. It could be playing with your kids. It could be zoning out. It could be, this is why I think that what we do in terms of the way we train is Mm. a spiritual journey. Yeah. You've been on this kick for a little bit. Because when we do this, when we train this way, you, you, you start that voice in your head gets loud and you start to become really aware of it. And you go, wait a minute, is this serving me? Is this helping me out? And at, maybe we'll have glimpses of what people would call a flow state. Mm-hmm. And a flow state is where the chatter goes away mm-hmm. and you're at peace and your best version flows out of you. Whether you call it flow, enlightenment, heaven on earth, pure joy, love, it's all the same thing. Mm-hmm. That's the journey we're on is how close can we get to that? Yeah. I think I'd love to have a, a bigger conversation because the thing that you just said about, uh, which to outside people is kind of sacrilege, but like the idea of like the training is a pathway or a gateway to whatever, enlightenment, whatever it is. And I've always thought, not in that language, but I've always thought like in the moments after a hard workout is when we are the most honest, the most authentic, the most us. And sometimes it only lasts for two minutes, but it, but you can't fake it in those few minutes. And if you can tune yourself into it, I think that's a big part of why a lot of people come back to it time and time again. Maybe not, they don't, we can't articulate that all the time. It's not always conscious, but that's the feeling of like, I've stripped everything else away. And for a few moments, I saw myself, I felt myself and man, I want, I want that again. Uh, the, Spiritual practice in terms of what the monks experience, mm-hmm. right? There is a level of intentional hardship, discipline, and suffering that they chop wood, carry water, right? Whether it's archery until your hands bleed or it's uh, fasting or it's carrying um, things up mountains, there's a training element to it because they understand how that will allow you to tap into a deeper version of yourself. Mm-hmm. That's what we're harnessing mm-hmm. through this journey of doing that. And I, there is that level of, we need to, it's know thyself, mm-hmm. right? We have to know thyself. And what I mean by that is not go, well, I'm an introvert. I'm an extrovert. I like, I like fast cars. I like the color blue. It's no, like get in farther in, like, who are you at your being? Mm-hmm. And when you start to, the, the practice of these hard workouts if it's at the end and that's where you feel your most true self, love that. I'm a newer coach, com- uh, completed the level one. In We're butchering two yeah, minutes, totally. by that's the way. That's why I'm trying this to might be our <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a newer coach. This is the seven minute drill. Completed the level one in uh, uh, 2016, level two last year. I've been coaching part-time at a local box uh, for a little less than a year. 
This weekend during the workout, I directed a member to go a little deeper in his squat during wall balls. He replied, nah, I'm good. I asked, are you injured or being lazy? He didn't respond and I gave him some space. I swung back around and said basically, hey man, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to push your buttons, but he cut, but he cut me off and told me essentially what a terrible coach I am and that I needed to find better words. I don't totally disagree with him on the use of words, but how do you find the balance as a coach between, ha- between being relentless and not triggering, if that's the correct description of this incident? Do you just leave someone alone if they shut you down right off the bat or is there a more nuanced approach? Yeah, there is a much, much more nuanced approach. And I know this word relentless has been passed around a lot mm. in our space. It's it's wrong. Mm. It's totally wrong. You cannot be relentless until you've established trust. Mm-hmm. That's exactly, this is case in point yeah. 101, where you do not have the trust of that athlete. You're trying to be relentless and you have now just, you shattered it. Yep. It's going to take so much to build that relationship back. It goes care, then it goes consistency, then it goes competence. Mm -hmm. That's how you establish trust. You didn't, what are you being lazy? Mm -hmm. Where's the care there? No, are you injured? Or you, there's, you gave him two choices, both of which are bad. You didn't, you don't know (laughs) why, like (laughs) there's no out there for that. Like if you say that to me, I'm not, I don't like you at all. It is not about being relentless at all. That's like, it's the transactional leadership thing. It's mm-hmm. the military leadership. Be relentless, like until yeah. they do it right. Yeah. Put your finger on the bug until it squirms. Like that's not what we're supposed to do as coaches at all. Mm. What we're supposed to do as coaches is make people feel safe, heard, valued, connected, and then once we show that we, can, no one knows, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm-hmm. It is all about that first thing. So is there a more nuanced approach? Yes, 100%. You should not be relentless ever. Mm. It's not, it doesn't exist in our space, particularly where people are volunteering and not even vo- paying you yeah. to coach them. And if you don't, they don't like you, they're gone. Yeah. Like build the trust. And through the trust, you have endless opportunities to share your knowledge and all of the better ways. But until you know the ticks and tendencies and triggers of that athlete, you better reserve the relentlessness. Now, can I be relentless with Chandler and Amanda and my wife and those? I can be more relentless, but even with those guys, I have to understand where the the threshold is and make sure that they're hearing it in a way that's going to resonate with them. So what is the nuanced approach? It's different for everybody. And some people want to be yelled at from across the room. Other people, if you do that, they're not coming back tomorrow. So you have to figure out what is the right thing for that athlete. And we should not, um, push buttons. Mm-hmm. We should not, um, I just wish that word relentless. I know where it's coming from and yeah. it, it should not be part of the, the curriculum. Yeah. Um, just, to, just to play it out just for a moment, your, your coach or one of your coaches at, at, at the gym over there has a member asks a member, you know, get down a little deeper. And he says, nah, I'm good. What is the right response? Cool. Moving on is the right response. Is it, is there another response to still, cause what I'm hearing is like, yeah, but he's doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. My job is to help him do yep. it right. So where is the, yeah. What would you want one of your coaches to do? Like what would make you proud to see if one of your coaches got that response? Like what would be the response to that? Yeah. So, um, 
I, this athlete, this coach I, does not know why he's not squatting below parallel. Mm-hmm. So the first thing you have to know is, does the athlete can... So this is the way you... During the warm-up, this is why dry runs are so important and warming people up are so important, in a structured, systematic way where you can get eyeballs on each athlete and you can see what their range of motion limitations are. And you talk to them outside the heat of battle. Mm. You talk to them in a controlled environment where they're ta- you're not slowing them down. So be, during the warm-up, you notice that the athlete can't get down. So before the workout starts, you have the conversation. And then in the workout, when they're not getting there, you've already established that there is this ground rule. There is this place that we both agreed upon. Mm -hmm. And then it's as simple as me putting a med ball underneath them and going, tap your butt to the ball. Mm -hmm. It's a really soft, quick little thing. But if the athlete isn't squaring to parallel and you go um, get down and they go, no, bro, I'm good. And you go, are you injured? Or are you lazy? You don't know which it, maybe it's, you shouldn't have to ask that question Mm -hmm. because that question should have come up beforehand. And if you fail to see it beforehand and they're not getting below parallel, it's, it speaks to so many other things than this one singular incident. It's the way that the whole program is structured. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, cool. Love that. All right. Next question. How do we raise our children to know that they are safe, loved, secure, while also providing opportunities for them to struggle and overcome adversity. We all want our children to be, uh, we all want to shield our children from disappointment, rejection, and hurt, but these are moments uh, in which they learn and grow. How can we embrace and even foster this? Man, a lot of of questions that these should just be full episodes. Yes. I'll try and do this one really quickly, which is um, when, yes, nobody wants to see their child suffer, but no one sees them hurt, no one sees them cut from the team or anything like that. But what we want to do is actually, and this person's kind of answering the question, these are the learning teachable moments. And what you want to do is during those moments, let them know that they are loved, safe, secure, but in a um, teachable way Mm -hmm. and double, triple, quadruple down on the response that you're looking for. And it's not about the actual thing. So let's say... um, um, so this happened recently where, um, Bodie was my, my soon to be 10 year old son, um, was being teased at school mm. and he came and he was crying to me, um, while we were laying in bed and he just started like, he started breaking loose about it, man. And that's so like, that's such a thing. And as a parent, you want to defend and you want to like, mm-hmm. you know, tell me who it was and I'll go, kid, not, tell me who I was and I'll go get He's it. not my kid, but I'm feeling that right yeah, now. Yeah, so exactly. Right. There right? Like. <laughs> God, it, it was so, I was like, I was like, he's looking, he's looking at me and we're just like lying face to face, pillow to pillow. And he's like got the big beady eyes, you know, with the raised eyebrows. He's looking up through the top of his head at me mm-hmm. and he goes, and he was making fun of me. I said, what'd he say? And he goes, he called me a chicken head. <laughs> I did everything and everything in my power not to laugh everything to like yep. and I was like right when he said it, it was like oh my gosh you kind of have a you do it your head does you kind of head kind of does look like a little chicken <laughs> but it's he called me a chicken head yeah in that moment so I was like and what did you do yep. and he's like um I walked away and I went and told the teacher and I was like yes because mm-hmm. Bodhi used to struggle with this yeah Bodhi used to be the bully on the playground mm-hmm. and like he used to and I was like Bodhi that's so awesome. That's amazing. I was like, Bodie, do you realize what you did? 
you responded. Mm. You and I, so I've, I've the com- same conversations we have. I'm having with you. Didn't yeah. react. You didn't go and push him down. You didn't fight. You didn't call him another name. You did exactly what we talk about. What is the thing that's going to move this forward? And what's the way that you're going to be proud? You went and talked to an, an a parent about this. You went and talked to not a parent, a teacher about mm-hmm. this. It's like that is so awesome. And then I was. And I talked about like, you know, kids can be mean. And this is not the last time someone's going to call you a name. So I get that it hurts. It's going to hurt the next time you do it. But just keep doing this. Because you and double, triple on how they respond to the situation. And if they respond poorly, lean into that as a teachable moment. Like that hurts when they call you names. That's not going to stop. They're going to keep calling you names. So what we need to do is when they do that is do this the right way. Remove yourself from the situation. Dot, dot, dot. Do X, Y, and Z. But that would be my my take on that. That's cool. Yeah, so mine are five and two. So we don't quite have that yet. But the, the one thing that I've, I've started to remind myself of is that there's a difference. There's a very real difference between things that are dangerous and things ju- that just feel dangerous as a parent. And I was thinking about this the other day because the, both the boys, we had this little trampoline and they were both bouncing each other up and down. And I was like, okay, this is one of those moments that part of me is like, stop, stop. Something's going to get hurt. Baby's going to get hurt, et cetera. But then I took like, I just took a deep breath. I'm like, the chances of one of them actually getting hurt is very small, but the chances of them learning something about how to play with each other, learning how to control their body in space, like all the, there's just, a, there's a better chance of that than one of them falling off the stupid little trampoline. And we have, and it's a small trampoline. It's not like a, it's not like a giant one. So I just took a deep breath. I was like, okay, this is one of those things that kind of feels dangerous and feels like I want to keep them safe. And it feels like I want to yell careful. I'm just going to shut up and watch for a few more minutes. Yeah. I, two things on that. Um, Kids are hard to break. Mm-hmm. They are resilient. Yes. And when you have, we were on our fourth, um, you kind of realize that with the first, it's like bubble wrap. Yep. Um, the second part of that is um, Harley broke her ankle on a trampoline at age three. Good so be careful. <laughs> <laughs> it is a small one. Like I've seen yeah. yours. Like I know yeah. it's not one of those. It's, it's. And that was me like bouncing the three-year-old. I can bounce them now, yeah. but not at eight. Yeah, no. And I've learned like they can't be, they, we call it popcorn, yes. where they roll up into a ball and try to make them explode. Yeah. Um, that's okay. What's not good is when they're on their feet. It's like yeah. totally. crumble, crack. Yes. Yeah. I wasn't saying go be crazy on trampolines. Um, <laughs> all right. Next question. I've been doing CrossFit for three years and I still have major technique deficiencies. I've always had bad body awareness. And often have a difficult time interpreting cues from coaches. Oftentimes, I think I've made a correct change and can't feel that I haven't. A coach told me that it seemed like I never listened uh, listened because I never make the suggested changes. I hate working with people who don't listen to advice, and I never want to be that person. In the past few months, I've been trying extra hard to seek out feedback and videotape myself to make changes on my form, but I'm still really struggling to feel the correct form. It seems like half the changes I make aren't actually correct. So it probably still looks like I don't care. How can I show that I value the coach's advice and I'm really trying? Also, do you have any advice for how to fix my movement patterns when I can't feel them very well? So two two questions in there. Okay. Um, good. Again, like awesome, per- like, super cool. Um, first one would be how do you... Was it, how do you let them know? How that do you, you let care? the coach know that you actually are listening and trying? You you tell them. Yeah. You literally <laughs> so you have a conversation with them. You don't let them guess about it because right now they're guessing. You're not making changes. They're talking to you. Seems like you don't care. You have the conversation. Go listen. I really value. 
you tell them exactly what you just told us. I really value your feedback. I'm really trying. I want you to keep coaching me because not everyone does. And coaches love hearing this, like love it. Please keep giving me feedback. And I'm sorry, I'm not so quick to make changes. It's not that I don't care. It's that I don't feel this, but it's not that I'm not trying. I love your coaching. I love being coach. I care about this. I want you to keep pushing me um, as much as you can. Second part is how do you continue to make, how do you make the changes? Two things. There's, um, when you videotape yourself, there's, um, seeing and there's correcting Mm -hmm. and you have to be able to do the first one to do the second one. Can you see, Mm. can you see the faults and can you see when it's right? And that's where we need to go first. And they don't exist in CrossFit spaces, but try using a mirror. Yeah. Like a mirror can help a lot. And when you are doing a squat or you're doing whatever it is, as long as it's a slow movement, mirrors will help. Um, Can you see it? Because it's different than feeling it. Can you see it? Or when you videotape yourself for the fast moves, can you see it when you go into slow motion? The next thing might be, it might be the coach. And the coach might be giving you nuanced, weird feedback that actually isn't beneficial to you or um, to your ability level. You know, if you're new to the sport and they're talking about, you know, um, um, the transition from the second to the third pull of the snatch, it's mm-hmm. like, well, what the heck? Are, yeah. Like, that's not, let's not go there quite just yet. So I would be a little bit, my honest answer would be give yourself a breath. Don't put so much pressure on yourself and allow yourself to feel better about yourself and your journey in this space by having the conversation with the coach. I would be interested in knowing if you have experience with training an athlete or if you have an opinion on plant-based dieting specifically for high caliber athletes. I'd be interested in knowing what the challenges are as well as the benefits. Okay. So uh, I'll do those. There's like four questions there. Do I have the experience? No, I've never worked with a plant-based high level athlete. Worked with people in the regular gym. Um, Second one is... um, could they, can they be elite? Is that what it was? Um, no, just if you have any opinion on plant-based dieting specifically for high caliber athletes, like uh, conceptually, yeah. is it a good okay. idea? So conceptually, I would say, no, it's not a good idea. Um, I like the idea behind plant-based, which is the idea, but it gets butchered, is more nutrient density um, per gram of calorie. And let's help out the um, animals and the ecosystem by getting away from, you know, industrialized farming and, um, the horrible horrible stuff that's happening with poultry cattle and, um, all the rest. I would, if somebody's trying to be an elite athlete, I think it's very difficult to get the necessary protein. We need 0.5 grams of protein for every pound of body weight, just to maintain health. Mm. If you don't have that, you're being hurtful to your health. Think of it as the Mendoza line, like seven hours of sleep. Anything under seven hours of sleep, don't care what you talk to me about, you're hurting your health. Anything underneath 0.5 grams, so that means if you weigh 200 pounds, you have to have 100 pounds of protein a day. 100 grams. Sorry. 100 pounds (laughs) would be a lot. (laughs) Thank you for calling me out. Um, That's hard to get in through quinoa, broccoli beans. and beans yeah. really hard because by the time you get to that your calorie intake yeah. is Balloon. massive yeah. it's just really difficult so that's why it's really hard now that's to maintain health 
athletes should have 0.7 grams. So now a 200 pound athlete needs to have 140 grams of protein. You're not going to get there plant-based. Now for somebody that's looking to gain muscle, that's one to 1.5. That's 200 to 300 grams of protein. Impossible. Like you're going to have massive other issues before you get there. That's why it's a struggle. Now I know I've seen game changers. I've seen, um, there's a, and the reason that that works is because when people game get changers off of, is a documentary, documentary yep. when people get off of processed foods yep. and get onto a plant-based diet, they're going to feel better, Yeah, but it's not the lack of protein. It's a lack of processed foods. It's a, it's the, you bring up the nutrient density and it's called the vegan honeymoon, mm. which for a short period of time, you feel awesome. Yeah. Because bye-bye all that. Oh my gosh, I have so much energy. I have, all the inflammation goes away. Amazing. But then usually there's a little bit of a downswing. And that's why even in that movie, uh, I think it was uh, a boxer or somebody, um, they interviewed him during it, but he went back to mm. meat afterwards. Yeah. Now, I'm not an advocate of just plain meat for meat's sake. Farm-raised, um, grass-fed, pasture, happy cows. Mm-hmm. Like the happy cows. And they're eating grass from real soil, that they're rotating the livestock. That's the way we want to, that's the, or even better is I used to be against hunting. I'm not anymore mm. because it's the best way to get ancestral meat, right? Like you get an elk, you get a uh, venice, you get a deer, you get, that is, and they're wild. They're eating the real things. And you... Landing that animal is saving so many other industrial raised slaughterhouse hogs, cattle, chickens, whatever it might be. So I want clean source. To me, the stuff that you get from the supermarket that's just normally packaged from an industrial farm is a processed food. Just like Doritos are. Yep. Yep. Interesting. Okay. I'm intentionally not asking follow-ups because we're trying to get back to this. Uh, we'll do one more question. We'll do uh, last one here. I help with admin tasks at my CrossFit, my local CrossFit box, and I write welcome letters to our uh, new members. Ben once said something in an episode about what we do inside the gym echoes uh, beyond the walls or something like that. This is the sort of sentiment I try to convey to our new members as I write these letters. What do you guys think would be the essential message for a new CrossFit member for encouraging and motivating them to commit to their health and fitness journey? What an awesome like brand exercise, right? Um, I'd love to hear your take on this um, from the, you know, your your functional branding side of things. Because it's essentially a thing. It's like, what is, how do we get people to realize the magic sauce? That it's not about the hour, it's about the 23 hours outside the gym. Mm -hmm. What you do in here will echo outside the walls of the gym. That this can transform your entire life. But you... You do that, and how does it not sound like you're overselling, right? Right. Like, oh my god! Especially because this is happening at the, the early stage. Yeah. Day, like, welcome. Like, here's your here's the you thank just you found note heaven. for showing up. Yes, <laughs> welcome to heaven. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, what, what would be your take on that? Um, the the first thing that comes in my mind, which is a bit odd, but I think it's totally true, which is I think that we underappreciate because we get into this, and by we, I mean like anybody in this space. You work at a gym, you're kind of a CrossFit or something. We forget that we're just we're just the minority. We forget how weird it is hmm. 
that we do what we do and that we care what we care about and that we uh, spend the time in the ways that we spend it. We spend our attention in the ways that we spend it. And so the, the what comes to my, my mind is reinforcing and thanking and celebrating the fact that this person decided to be weird just like us. Mm. Because chances are they are weird like you. They're maybe a little bit scared. Maybe they haven't fully bought in yet. Maybe they haven't done it in 10 years, whatever that might be. But like if they're in your gym, especially if it's a CrossFit gym, they're, they're a special kind of weird. They're willing to pay a couple hundred bucks for some 22-year-old tattooed trainer to tell him to squat a couple more times. That is not normal. Most people think it's crazy. As, as big as CrossFit is, has been, will continue to be, we're still in the minority. And I think celebrating people's, celebrating the fact that, hey, you're weird, but that's okay because so are we. And we're so glad you found us is I think a really powerful message at that early phase. Because then it's like, oh, I, maybe I do belong there. So how do you do that though? How do you like, if someone was to write like a thank you note for dropping in mm -hmm. or trying the gym, what is the tagline? What is like, the, you can't go, you, you're weird like me. No, well, maybe, but probably not. What I would say is something along the lines of, this is going to sound strange, but I just want to make sure you recognize that most people never do the one thing that you did, which was walk in here and try something scary with strangers for the first time. That is worth celebrating in and of itself. We think that this is just the beginning of an incredible journey. But if we never see you again, I want to make sure I highlight the fact that you did something that most people never do, which is you volunteered to do something scary and something hard. And that makes you special. I love that. <laughs> Period. End it there. You have anything else you want to add? No, it's so good. All right, cool. Thank you, folks. Thank you for your questions. Again, find me on Instagram, PS coming, send me a DM. Uh, don't send Ben a DM because I'm not sure he knows where his DMs are. Um, so if you want to get a question into the queue, send it to us. We'll get it in a future episode. Uh, thank you, Ben. Thank you, everybody out there for listening. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. Ben and I will be back next week. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time, thank you for listening.